Hey everyone, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at New Song and get the opportunity to again uh, jump into the series that we're in as we're going through the gospel of Mark. Last week, we took uh, a short break as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and um, participated in Holy Week together. And, and one of the things since I've been here at New Song that, that I've really learned to appreciate is the, is the process of Holy Week. It's something that I haven't celebrated, that it, that it wasn't a part of the traditions of the church that I was in before, but there's something that's really important about taking time and taking moments throughout the week to pause and to consider some of the last moments of the life of Jesus. And, and we did that in many ways last week. We got to celebrate and, and have a devotional time over Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and, and even Holy Saturday, this time of wait. And Melody told, told us on that day, she told us that this was a time where, where it would have been easy to try to distract yourself, right? These disciples just lost their rabbi, their, their master, their Lord, the one they were looking to to lead them. And, and they didn't even have work to bury themselves in because it was the Sabbath, but they just had to sit with the weight of the reality of what had just happened. And, and when we do that, when we take time to really think about those moments. It allows us to better and more fully celebrate the resurrection. And we got an opportunity to do that in a couple different ways from, from a sunrise service, which was really awesome, to a 9 a.m. experience that we had together uh, online as we normally do each week. And then as well to an in-person gathering that we had here. And one of the things for me that was the biggest blessing out of that whole week was these moments before that, that, that 11 a.m. gathering and afterwards where we're carrying some easy ups and, and putting some stuff up or putting things away and having some quick conversations and seeing some people and seeing the faces. And, and man, it was just life-giving to me to, to once again remember that, that this walk with Jesus is something we get to do together. And one of the things that I love is last week as we celebrated Holy Week, it really sets up this passage that we're going through today. And this passage that we're in is gonna be in Mark chapter four, starting in verse 21. And it's a collection of parables that, uh, that Mark put together. So it's a collection of four teachings of Jesus that he compiled and put together in this, in this section. And one of the things I want to encourage us to do and create a little more context for us is usually when we hear a parable, we, we write ourselves into it, right? So you have like the parable of the talents and, and it's the story of different men who, who, were, who were entrusted with some stuff and, and what they did with it uh, led their master to either be satisfied and pleased with them or not. And, and so we put ourselves in the equation and we kind of like to be the one in the middle, like, I'm not awesome, but I did just enough, you know, like, and we try to find out what that means for our life and what that means about how we should act. But with these parables, we need to, we need to be careful not to do that because Mark is being very intentional in compiling these and in the context that we find them. So, so I encourage us to, to read these a little bit more open-minded because when we, when we are quick to put ourselves in the story, we, we tend to scope in and miss some of the bigger picture. So with that, we're gonna start in verse 21 and we're gonna go through um, actually verses 34 
And generally I read through the entire passage, but because these are four separate parables, we're gonna break it up a little bit into some sections and, and unpack what each section means and then tie the thread together at the end. So starting in verse 21, it said, and he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is any secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let them hear. And he said, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The last part of that section that I just read, I feel like you can file it in the category of things Jesus says that don't sound very Jesus-y. And I run into that sometimes when I'm in the gospels, when, I, when I'm hearing uh, the words of Jesus. But, but when we get some clarity as to why all these are together, I think it really opens up what Jesus is trying to say. So we're jumping back to the front. It says, is a lamp brought in? And this lamp, uh, the, it's a parable. So we have to figure out, okay, what is the lamp? And the, and there's some discussion on this, you know, is it the word like we had a couple of weeks ago or is it the kingdom or is it Jesus himself? The consensus comes to the fact that, that Jesus is speaking of himself when he's talking about the lamp. And even more than that, not just the person of Jesus, but the Christ, the, the reason he came, the position he holds and all of that is what he's trying to explain. So he says, is a lamp brought in and to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? We have this in-between moment that is a reality of the disciples and Jesus. When, when we look at the story as it's unfolded so far, we realize that in the entirety of the world, 0.00001% of the population even knows that this person, Jesus, exists. That's not a perfect number, so don't fact check me. But, but a very small portion of the world knows that Jesus exists. And so we have this reality that Jesus being the light, being the lamp exists and is there, but he's not yet known. And he unpacks what that looks like in verses 22 and 23. It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What he's saying to them is, is actually unpacked back in, in verse 11 of chapter four. It says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So he's talking to his disciples and he says that you guys have some information that no one else has. But this information has a purpose and there will be a time when that purpose is revealed, not only to the people that he's teaching and the communities they're in, but it will grow and find its way through all of culture and different areas and different communities. And he's bringing this up to them for a purpose. And in, the, in verse uh, 23, it says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And again, this is where I think like, okay, am I, am I the one that has ears or am I the one that doesn't? You know, like what's he talking about here? What Jesus is saying is he's, he's, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, if you have ears, listen to what I am about to tell you. 
because something spectacular is happening. And we know what that is. We know what Jesus has in mind because last week we just celebrated it. We celebrated the reality of this man who was entering into a city and being praised and people were putting their garments down as, as he was on the back of a donkey coming into a city and they were yelling, Hosanna, because this was gonna be their savior. This was gonna be their Messiah, the leader that would put Rome under his thumb. And, and there was all this expectation and we see quickly in the week, something terrible happened and expectations were not met. And man, I feel like there's an entire sermon in that right there, right? A Christian response when Jesus doesn't meet our expectation. And we see this tension hit. And, and, and we, he knows what's ahead of him and, and the reality of what he is to do, the reality of what he's saying in his purpose and being the lamp. And, and I remember when I became uh, a Christian, it was shortly after I became a Christian. I don't know that this was for me. Maybe it was evangelism training or just someone clarifying the gospel, but there was this picture that was drawn for me. And a picture was very simple. It was, it was a cliff and another cliff. And there was a big hole in between and there was two stick figures, one on each cliff. And one stick figure was you and the other stick figure was God. And, and this cliff was, was to demonstrate the separation between God and man. And in that little gap, the word sin was in there. So it was described to you that sin separates you from God. And, and as you tell the story of the gospel, you start to draw this cross that spans that gap and, and the story of Jesus pursuing the cross on our behalf. And, and we know that that leads to this passion narrative. And, and if you've seen the passion of the Christ or you've read through that narrative before, we know it's intense but it's not just intense because of the physical anguish that Jesus went through, but it's also intense because he brought on the entirety of sin onto his shoulders. And what that means is, is everything that God created to be good and perfect and beautiful, the stuff that's coming in to distort that and make that gross and disgusting, he took all that upon himself, nailed it to a cross, buried it in the tomb and left it there when he resurrected. And so we have this moment, we have this, this access to the creator, right? And it's an amazing thing. And people are like, look, you have access to God now because of what Jesus did. But I feel like there's always been this missing part of the story. And this bridge that was created, and yes, we have access to the almighty, the great I am, right? The alpha, the omega, we can now have access to God. But, but this bridge is a two-way street. And I think it's beautifully described in Matthew when Jesus takes his last breath. And it says in the temple, the curtain was ripped in half from top to bottom. This curtain was separating the literal presence of God from the rest of humanity. And we see that not only do we have access to God, but God has access to his creation. And that comes to a summation. And that summation is known as the kingdom of God that is here and this is what Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples with. So in that context, he says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. And, and we see this part of, of this expectation to, to listen, to listen into what he's saying because there's, 
there's knowledge and there's truth to what he's saying. But more importantly than that, he says this word that he says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. And I think of it like this. If you know nothing about God, you have no context, you have no bias, you have no information, and someone comes up to you and says, God is gracious. Now you have information, right? And you have some knowledge about who God is and he's gracious. And that's, that's good and all, that's good to know, that's good information to have. But what Jesus is saying, it's more than that, use it. And what that means is that if you functioned in a reality where you truly believe that God is gracious, then it removes the need to prove yourself to him. It removes the need to feel shameful and disgusting and hide yourself from him when you make a mistake. It removes this desire to to prove your religion or prove your Christianity to those around you. And we see this, this difference in between just simply knowing some knowledge and the wisdom that Jesus is trying to give to his disciples. And the crazy thing is that that in the context of the kingdom of God, that when you use that, it's never ending. It's an unlimited supply of grace that when you trust God a little bit and say, maybe you are gracious with me and he proves that he is, it allows you to live in a different life, in a different context because you trust that a little bit more. And this is what he's saying to his disciples. In verse 25, it says, for to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is that hard part of this passage, right? Because instantly I wanna go, am I the have or the have not? Because I want to know that. But he's not talking about the stance of an individual. What he's talking about is the coming kingdom of God and the reality of the landscape that's gonna be before the disciples. That yes, there is access to the creator. There is access to the almighty God, but there's also people who are living outside of that context. And they're living and they still have to have some sort of resource, but the only resource they have is their ability to to push through, their ability to hold on. And at some point that resource is gonna diminish. And at some point they aren't gonna be able to hold on or push through. And at that moment, they start to lose the things that God created in them to be beautiful and wonderful and amazing. And so he sets this landscape before his disciples saying, yes, my kingdom has come, but it hasn't taken over yet. There's people who need it. And in that there's opportunity. So he goes on to further explain what he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom. In verse 26, he said, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first a blade and then an ear and then full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Man, this is one of those ones that if you just plop this one out, this would be like the mission statement of like the evangelists of of the world, right? Like it's really easy. We have our marching orders. We jump in, we got to plant that seed. You know, we plant, we tell people about Jesus and we, we're prepared enough to answer some questions about him. And then we wait, man, for that harvest, right? We wait to harvest what that seed that we planted and that harvest is gonna be this 
moment where someone comes and they accept the saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus in their life. And it's a beautiful fruit and it is, but, but I wanna clarify something. He's not talking about an individual. Again, he says, the kingdom of God is as if. He's talking about how the kingdom works and the kingdom works like this. And, and this is really important because, because kingdom work does not end at salvation. I wanna repeat that. Kingdom work does not end at salvation. Salvation is a beautiful uh, demonstration of the fruit of God working in people's life. Yes, but there's more. And, and I think of it like this, a, a person who's really struggling and someone comes in and loves them and loves them consistently and unconditionally. And that person feels a little bit like a charity case, but they have no other means. So they have to utilize that. And there's a transformation that happens where that person stops feeling like a charity case and starts to feel worthy of the love that they're receiving. Fruit. Or you have a person that experienced some terrible thing in their life because life is full of suffering and different things that come in that can't be explained. And in that moment, they fall back on their vices and their vices become addictions and their addictions become the thing that pushes them through life. The thing that literally runs their life, how they act, what they're about, what they need and what they pursue. And they have some people come alongside them and through the ministry of long suffering, speak worth into their life, allow them to take some of the first steps of getting better and slowly they start to regain control of their life. They start to remove the shackles of addiction that they were experiencing in a tangible way. They have this new freedom that, that, they, were, that they weren't experiencing before. And, and not that it's not there, not that it's not always a temptation or always gonna be a struggle, but they're regaining control. Fruit. And, and maybe it's this person who's, can't remember a time that they didn't know Jesus, right? The first, the first time they could string a couple sentences together, it was accepting Jesus into their heart, right? And, and they went from that point in life and they were growing up surrounded by people, giving them the knowledge of who God is, telling them truth about God. And they get to some of these important developmental stages to where they hear and they have so many of the answers and they have so much of the knowledge, but they've never learned how to use any of it. And that creates a tension and it's the faith is over here, but real life is over here. And I don't understand how they collide. And they don't feel like they have the right to ask the question. They don't feel like they have the right because they, they know the answer. They know what will be told them. So they feel alone. But something someone says, maybe something they read emboldens them enough to go and ask maybe a trusted person some of their doubts, some of the questions they have. And rather than that person giving them the answer, because let's be honest, the only reason you give an answer in that situation is for you. It's usually not for the other person. Rather than giving them the answer, showing them where they're wrong for doubting, they listen. A seed's planted. And, and so they take another risk and, and they move down that path and they, they, they pursue these questions and these doubts and and at the end of that path, a crazy thing happens. 
that they find at the end of the path that God's there. And now their faith isn't just this, this idea, this knowledge, but it's this wisdom that they can live their life by. And that's how the kingdom of God works. And he goes on to the last parable. And the last parable is explaining what the kingdom of God looks like. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the, all the seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So we just heard how the kingdom of God works and now we're, we're seeing what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's not saying the kingdom of God looks like a mustard seed, that it's, that it's small and it gets bigger. That's not the point. The kingdom of God looks like the progression of a mustard seed. And we know that the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in the world. But in that culture, in that time, the, the shocking plant, the shocking ratio of the size of the seed to what comes from it was an example that was used in many places. Faith of a mustard seed moves trees into water and mountains and all that, right? And even outside of religious conversations, it was an understood cultural example when you were trying to talk about something. So he uses this example. And so we wonder, okay, what does this have to say about what the kingdom looks like? Well, the first thing is the kingdom's surprising. That, that when someone's struggling, when someone's going through something that's tough in their life and, and you enter and you are just a presence with them, that just that moment of being with them could flourish and develop into this crazy, big, invasive reality that's a beautiful thing in their life just from a small, simple act. And it's surprising. Another thing about a mustard uh, plant is that uh, you can look up photos of a mustard plant and they're, some of them are pretty, right? And they're grown and it's the small ones, but the ones in this area that they're talking about Man, they're like these gnarly, like not big enough to be a tree, but a little bit too big to be a bush. And they're like twisting and weird and big. And, and the other thing about them is they're invasive. If they make their way into something, they don't stay, stay where they're supposed to stay. They spread, it's like a weed. If we, if we planted a mustard tree over in our, in our garden, it wouldn't stay in the box it was supposed to stay in. It'd make its way into another one and another one. Now it's on the playground. Now it's like, what do we do about this? Get this out of here. And so it's invasive. And another thing is it's, it's messy. It's this harsh plant in a harsh environment that brings along some, some harsh little critters that can handle being in that environment and handle finding its nest in that plant. And it's messy. And, and so we take a step back from this parable and we say, Jesus, if this is your example of what the kingdom of God looks like, 2,000 years later, what is the example of the kingdom of God? And, and we have to first look at the church. But when you look at the church, there's something about it and that it's, the church is stunning. When you look at it, and, and let's talk about the physical church first. If you've ever had the honor of walking in to some of these churches that are in Europe, these ones that were made hundreds of years ago, it's breathtaking. It stops you in your tracks. 
because you know the amount of lives that walked into that church, the generations of people with their own struggles and all that, that have, that have went there as a place of peace and rest. And, and that alone is enough to stop you. But then the intricacies of how it was built and how painstaking that process was and what that meant and what it represents. And, and I know the church isn't a building. I know we say that, but there's something to be said about some of those old churches and the aura that they have. So we scope to what the church actually is, right? The people. And a lot of my church experiences has been, at least here in Southern California, when you see people walking around church, you know, before, after church, the most part, they're pretty put together people, right? They're dressed decently, they're smiling, they're very welcoming. And when I think of the church, even as the people, I don't see this twisted plant. What I see is something more stunning and beautiful, like a rose bush, these colors that are vibrant and, and with the backdrop of the world, they, they stand out. And I remember when I went into church, this was my thought of church. And, and when I first started going, I'm like, man, people are so welcoming and they love. And, and so I went into church and, and the problem is I found myself bumping into some thorns. I was like, wait a minute. It was so pretty. Like, why, why am I getting poked? Why am I getting hurt? And when we look at that and we look at that reality, I want us to be careful because our, our desire might be to contrast what Jesus is saying and the church and discredit the church. And that's not the case because the reason you're getting poked is because it's full of people who are in process, who are struggling with this balance of belonging, believing and behaving. And one thing I found is is when if you're not sure if you belong and you're struggling with what to believe, the only thing you have left is to behave. And so you put on a good front, you put on a good, uh, a good face and you do your best to fit what's expected of you in that environment. And that's not just hypocrisy or people being uh, manipulative. What that is, is it's someone who's broken and struggling and trying to accept the knowledge and, and, and the, the wisdom of God being gracious. And I think these things aren't contrasted when we look at the last piece of what's described by the mustard plant as the kingdom of God. And that is that it grows and becomes larger than all the other garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That the most important thing about the kingdom of God is it's a refuge. That it's a place of belonging. Even these, these, these critters that are coming in that are like kind of unsavory bunch, right? It's for them. The pokey rosebush, it's for them. And it's this place where people can come and they can belong. And I think about the church and I think about the kingdom and I'm like, okay, it's this place that's strong enough to hold me when I need rest, right? As branches strong enough to hold me when I need rest, yet it's big enough to protect me from, from the scorching sun and from the predators and the things that are seeking to destroy me. And this is the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God becomes a foundation, a foundation for my, for, for my belonging, a foundation for me to have, have hope and have sustenance 
and have a stable place to be. But more than that, and I mean it more than that, it answers a more important question. That question is purpose, direction, and calling. Purpose, direction, and calling. That, that if we were just had a place where we could go and be ourselves and be comfortable, it would not be enough for us as humanity because we were created to achieve. We were created to participate in what God's doing and how he's doing it. And the kingdom of God answers that question for us. And I think directly of the context uh, that we're getting these verses from, Jesus speaking to his disciples we're left with these last two verses. Verse 33, it says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Privately to his own disciples, he explained everything that he spoke in parables. And, and we know that, and, and he explained it even in the last uh, sermon that we had one of the commentaries that I read put it this way, that, that one of the, maybe one of the reasons he spoke in parables was for one, if he didn't, if he just outright bluntly said the truth, he probably would have died earlier than he did in the story. But two, when you just throw the truth out bluntly, you force a response. And most of the time that response is a reaction. And there's two reactions you can have. You can say, I'm in or I'm out. And by Jesus speaking in parables, he affords the opportunity to consider his words, to move past the emotional response that, that if we're honest with our lives, that's kind of how we interact a lot of the times. He allows them to move past that emotional response and consider. Now, whether this was his intention in the parables in using parables or not, I don't know. But I think there's some wisdom there that we can take as a, as a culture that when we're going through this life, when we're pursuing and being part of the kingdom, when we get poked by some other people, that, that we're thinking in this way. Because the reality is most of the time that we feel the need to stand on or force truth or just, hey, I'm gonna say it how it is and the cards will fall as they will. Usually that comes out of a sense of fear or insecurity. But what this says is that is it makes us consider not, our tr not the truth or not the knowledge or not the, the things that we have, but it makes us consider the person whom we're in relationship with, who we're talking to. And when we consider that person, it changes the way we might speak. It changes the way we might interact. And it goes all the way back up to verse 24. It says, pay attention to what you hear, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so I, I wanna encourage us this morning through these parables with the fact that Jesus knew what was before him. Jesus knew the, the whole thing that Grant led us through on Good Friday. Jesus knew that that was in front of him. And I know he felt the weight of that but I feel like he had even a deeper weight for him knowing these men that he refers to as his family, that if they were to pursue this, 
if they were to lean into kingdom work, that the majority of them are gonna have the same fate that he was going to have. And I think about that for myself, like I know the risks and I'm willing to count the cost of what I do. Am I willing to put that on my friends, my family? Man, that gets heavier. And because he, he so desperately knew the importance of this, he wanted it to be clear that this isn't just about your security. This isn't just about you being right, but there's purpose and value and calling in what I'm laying before you. So listen, in verse 23, it says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. I thought that was more of a command, you know, like scolding. If you have ears, hear what I'm saying. But man, I think it more came across like a plea, a desperate plea. If you have ears, listen, because you're gonna need to stand on some of this wisdom I'm giving you because life is hard. So I wanna encourage us this morning with these parables that for one, you might, have, you might know God, right? You might've been in church for a while and you might have some of those questions. You might not feel like you're free to ask the questions, to move into some of the, the separation from all the knowledge and the information you have to the practical use it is in your life. It's okay. It's part of the process. And I can encourage you to seek truth because I believe at the end of the road, you're gonna find God. And we need those times. I know I've needed those times where, where I needed people who were strong enough to hold me and people who are and the church to be big enough to protect me. But man, I'm so, so grateful that it's not just my comfort that's at stake, but that I can participate in what God's doing that through the difficulty and through the struggle and through the messiness that is the kingdom of God, that it's so worth it because it's so much bigger than my comfort. And it's so much bigger than just my story. So I just wanna encourage us wherever we're at in this, that you belong. Even if you're that unsavory critter, you know, that's trying to get in that push, that you belong there. And that there's more than just comfort. There's purpose and direction, calling. Let's pray. God, I give you thanks again. God, I give you thanks for your word. Lord, I'm just, even now, just so thankful for the reality of community, for the reality of the fact that these things that we're talking about can feel like they're just in the spiritual realm and they're just a, about, about thoughts and theology and all that, but, but you show us this in a tangible way. Through the imperfections of the church, the people of God, that we experience the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray whoever's hearing this, whenever they are hearing it, Lord, that they will first know that there is belonging in you, that they have access to the creator because of what you did on the cross. And when they regain their feet, when they start to feel worthy of the unconditional love that you give them, I pray that you would bless them with purpose and calling and direction, that they might be emboldened to participate in this kingdom work that you have for us. And they might be able to realize that they can be in process while they do that. 
So God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the church, this rose bush that's pokey and gnarled and weird and made up of people that you love and that you care about and that you're working in. So God, we ask that you continue to direct us and guide us and let us rest more deeply in your grace, in your mercy, in your love. Amen.